So these guys, last week, I don't know if you, if you saw this or not, but last Saturday night, there's a, there's a fight, heavyweight fight, and these, these two guys fight. Um, back in December, they have this interview, and, and the one guy says to the other guy, he says, hey, when I step into the ring, it's not going to be me who steps in. You're not going to be looking in my eyes. He says, who am I going to be looking into? Is it going to be a spirit? He says, yeah, there's going to be an, an, a spirit to come into me. I don't know if it's going to be an alter ego. I don't know if it's going to be an ancestral spirit. I don't know if it's going to be an evil spirit. But I don't know if you caught that or not when he said, that don't work. Jesus Christ is my Savior. If God is for me, who can be against me? Right? Did you hear him say that? And so, so when you go toe-to-toe to the devil, with the devil, or with the spirit, let me show you what happens. This is what happened last Saturday night. He got pummeled. So much so that for whatever reason, he licks up the blood. I don't even know what that is. But if God is for me, who can be against me? Amen? Ah, I don't know. So if you got a Bible... Mark chapter 4 is where we're going. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about this idea of the enemy coming against us, telling us that we're something that we're not, trying to be something that he's not, trying to, to, for him, the enemy, to understand or to, to think or make us believe that he's greater than God. The Bible says that if God is in us, like right? If, if God is in us, then nothing in the world, it says, says this, says greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? And so we're in this battleground series. We're in week number three. It's this spiritual warfare thing, and we're talking about, or we're going to be talking for the next several weeks about all of these things that the enemy throws at us. Quick review, in week number one, we, we did a 30,000-foot overview of spiritual warfare. We talked about Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5, and I told you a bunch of concepts and a bunch of things in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5, and I said that's typically not a spiritual warfare verse or section of Scripture. But there's so much going on in that section that I want to take some time and break down all of these different things that are happening and, and apply it to ourselves and say, hey, if it happened way back then, we can expect it to happen now. Because Jesus Christ himself said, if you're going to follow me, expect trial, expect tribulation to come into your life. And we need to be prepared. We need to be ready for that. And so last week, John got up and, and he talked about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. And he said, we're elected by God. And, and and in Christ, we're protected and we're connected with him. And we talked about the cardboard, we showed the cardboard testimonies. Remember that? We, we showed what, what real life change looks like in the lives of people here in this church. People who were right here, who were stuck, stuck in a spot where the devil says, this is who you are and this is all you could ever be. And Jesus Christ has brought them over here and says, no, 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 devil, in me, this is who you are. And we did that, and it was absolutely phenomenal. It's a, it was a, for me, um, when I sat back and watched, it was in the, the first service on Sunday last week, and I sat in the back there and watched that. It just brought tears to my eyes, knowing the victory that we have in Jesus Christ and the victory that many of you are experiencing as you take your next steps in your journey with Jesus. Today, we're going to dive back in to Mark chapter 4 and begin to break down what we talked about in week 1. Because this, this spiritual warfare, right, we, we, we think we know spiritual warfare. We've seen the, mo- well, not me, but you've seen the movies, right? I don't, 
I told you I don't go see those movies. Friday night, my son, he, he wanted to, I wanted to go see a movie. I said, what movies are out? He said, going through this list of movies, and he said, let's go see The Invisible Man. I was like, sweet, let's go see The Invisible Man. I thought it was a superhero movie, like legit. Like I thought that's what it was. And my daughter, because she loves me greatly, on the way out said, Daddy, I think you might want to watch the trailer before you go. I spanked him and sent him to his room. I didn't because he would totally beat me up, but like I, I didn't do that. So then, so then, I didn't say this in the other service, then he said, oh, let's go see Fantasy Island. You know, little tattoo, the plane, the plane, remember that? And so I just watched the trailer for that, and at the beginning, there's the plane, the plane, the plane, but it's a scary movie too. What's wrong with you people, man, wanting to go see this stuff? I just don't. I don't understand it. But you see those movies, right? And, and heads are turning around and priests are flying across the room and all this other kind of stuff. That's not spiritual warfare. It's really not. The, the spiritual warfare that I'm going to talk about, the spiritual warfare that, that, that we deal with are, are the little distractions or, or in some cases the great big huge distractions that come into our life. When we're walking with Jesus, the enemy is constantly going to be pounding at us and telling us, hey, this is where you are. This is the only place you could ever stay. This is who you'll always be. You can never be who Jesus Christ has called you to be. And, and that's just not true. And so if you have your outline, when you came in, you got a bulletin, inside of there's an outline. If you want to take notes, I've got four points that, that I want to share with you today about spiritual warfare. When those distractions, when these, when these things come into our lives, when, when storms start to happen in our lives, there's four things we need to keep in mind. Number one is Jesus hears our cry. Jesus hears our cry. The Bible says in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, that, that phrase right there is huge. When evening came, he, meaning Jesus, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, let, let me kind of paint to you what's, what's going on right here. In that society, it's, it's kind of like the same thing in our society, right? They, they were hard workers. They were fishermen at night. They did agriculture by the day. If you weren't a fisherman, you did agriculture, and that, that's some hard work. And and when evening came, they, they did the same thing that we typically want to do when evening comes, when it's nighttime. Typically when it's evening, it's nighttime, we want to do what? We want to sleep, right? We want to rest. We want to kick back. We want to kind of enjoy the night. But something right here in this text triggered Jesus. If you read all of Mark chapter 4 up to this point, the other 34 verses up until this point, he's been working all day. He's been out. He's been healing people. He's teaching there's all of this activity that's happening in Mark chapter 4. And all of a sudden we get to this verse and it, and it says that, that that day when evening came. And so at a, at a time when the disciples are kind of getting ready to lay down and relax and kind of kick back and chill a little bit. Like I, I read this and I can, I can just see, I can see Peter. We, we spend a lot of time talking about Peter. And I can see Peter just kind of getting ready to prop his feet up by the fire and just kind of kick back and talk about all the incredible things that, that they had seen Jesus do that day. Talking about, man, did, did you hear when he, when he taught about that? Did, did you hear what he said? Like, like for years, man, we've been following all of these laws and doing all this stuff, and he said this is all we need to do, and this is how we go to God, and we follow him. And, and, and then he healed that guy. Did you see him heal that guy? Have you ever seen anything like that? It's absolutely amazing. And, and they're probably excited, and they're probably wanting to talk about that, and Jesus comes over and says, hey, let's go over to the other side. They're getting ready to just kind of chill and hang out. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come on, fellas, we got to go. Now, what is it? What is it that triggered Jesus to move 
at a time when people would typically rest, when people were going to just wind down for the evening, when people were going to sleep. Well, (laughs) I can't prove this, but let me kind of set this up because this is what I believe. If you've ever had a newborn, how how many of you have, have had a kid? How many of you have a kid? If you've ever had a newborn. Now, I'm talking this is your firstborn kid, firstborn. This is not true of your secondborn or your thirdborn or even your fourthborn, all right? This is true. Firstborn baby. Everybody got firstborn baby? Understand, firstborn baby. This illustration falls apart with other people, with other kids. All right, you remember bringing home the baby? You remember your first one? You, you remember that? You, you remember they, they finally release you from the hospital, and you take the baby, and you carefully take it down to the car, and you... You put it in the car and you strap it in exactly like the firemen told you how to do because you couldn't figure out how to put the flipping car seat in the car on your own. And so you had to take it there because you lost your Christianity trying to put the stinking car seat in the car. Hypothetically speaking, like I, I've heard stories. All right, so, so you put the baby in there and you've got her all strapped in and, and you're driving home and you obey the speed limit. You drive five miles under the speed limit. You've never driven five miles under the speed limit in your entire life, but this day you've got precious cargo, and so you're five minutes under. You come up to a stop sign, and you stop for the full seven seconds. You start judging people that don't. You're writing down license plate numbers, man. You're calling the police. Again, hypothetically, like you just, you pull in, you open the back door, and you pick your precious little girl, I mean your kid up, and um hypothetically speaking, and you carry them in the house. You take them upstairs, and you oh so gently lay them down in their crib, and you just stand there, and you just, you just look at them. You remember that? You remember this. If you got a firstborn, you, re- you remember that. And, and, and if that baby made a noise, just one noise, just one noise, you sprinted towards that kid, right? Like you're like, whoo, I got to go. Second baby, you're kind of, eh. Third baby, if they cry for more than an hour, you pay attention. Fourth baby, you don't even hear it anymore, right? But that first baby, I'm talking first baby, when that baby cries, as soon as that baby cries, you move, bam, like you're there. It's true. You don't even have to be a Christian to care about your kid, yes or no, right? I mean, that's the way it is. And so I remember one time with Chloe, she was upstairs in her crib, and I'm downstairs in the kitchen kind of doing some stuff, and I think she was... I don't know, four or five, six months old. And I heard this blood-curdling scream. It wasn't a grunt. It wasn't a cry. It was the loudest noise I had ever heard come out of a human being in my life. And so she's in the kitchen, or she's upstairs, and I'm in the kitchen, and I begin to, and listen, I've never been known for my speed. Nobody has ever looked at me and said, Dang, that boy's probably fast. Like, that has never happened ever. But as soon as I hear her cry, boom, I'm sprinting upstairs. I'm on the way because I'm her father. Even though I didn't know what was going on in her life, I wanted to get to her as fast as I could to figure it out. And and I'm sure the whole time she's crying, as best as she can understand in her little baby mind, she's probably wondering, where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? But the whole time she's crying, don't miss this. The whole time she's crying, I'm on the way. The whole time she's crying, I'm on the way. The whole time she's crying, I'm on the way. The whole time she's crying, I'm on the way. Which takes us back to Jesus. Let let me kind of set this up. Luke tells us in the Gospel of Mark, verse 5, 
um, or chapter 5, verse 16, he says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. There are times where Jesus had to get away from the crowd, where Jesus had to bust away, where Jesus kind of had to be by himself. He had to kind of take a break, get away from the crowd. And so Jesus is, is all by himself. He's out, he's out praying, and he's, he's by the Sea of Galilee. The Galilean area is where Jesus did the majority of his ministry. It's a big sea, right? Right in the middle of it is a big sea, a big lake, whatever. I don't know if you've ever been around water, especially at night when the stillness of the night sets in and the stillness of the water where the water's just not even moving and you can look across the water and it looks like glass. And those times, sound carries very, 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 very well across the water. And so in this region of the Sea of Galilee, sound would have carried very well. And so think about this for a second. Jesus is by himself. He's praying. He's focused. But as we talked about in week one, there, there's this guy a few verses later in Mark chapter 5, verse 5. Remember we talked about the naked demon-possessed guy, right? The demon-possessed guy, the guy who has got thousands of demons inside of him. Look at this. It says this, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. He would do what? He would cry out, and he would cut himself with stone. So, so, so imagine this for a second. Just, just think about this. You, you've got a guy over here, and he's crying out. He's demon-possessed. He's, he's screaming. He's cutting himself with stones. You've got Jesus over here, and he hears the guy cry out. And as soon as he hears the guy cry out, as soon as he hears it, he tells the disciples, hey, fellas, let's go. We got to go. Here's what's amazing to me to think about. Think about this. This guy didn't even know he was crying out for Jesus. He didn't even know he was crying out for Jesus. All he knew was that he had some pain. All he knew is he's dealing with some hurt. He knew things weren't right in the way that he was living, and his life was jacked up. He shouldn't be in the tombs. He shouldn't be in chains. He should have some stinking clothes on. He shouldn't be naked running around day and night cutting himself. He knows things are jacked up in his life. And so he cries out. See, here's the good news. You don't even have to be a Christian to cry out to Jesus, and he hears your cry. This guy in the story this demon-possessed guy, he's hurting. He's got pain. He's miserable. He cries out, and I believe that Jesus hears his cry, comes to the disciples, and says, let's go, guys. There's somebody that needs me. Because while he's crying, don't miss this, while he's crying, Jesus is on the way. While he's crying out, Jesus is on the way. While he, you see this? While he's crying out, Jesus is is on the way. And the reason I think it's important to point out right here is because there might be somebody here today or somebody watching online that's going through something in your life. There's something causing you some pain. There's something that's causing you some uncertainty. There's something that's causing you some hurt. There's something that's causing you some doubt. There's something that's causing you some worry. And you're crying and you don't think he doesn't hear you. But listen, if he's not close to you yet, it's because he's on the way. Whoa, that's good. If he's not close to you yet, it's because he's on the way, baby. If he's not close to you yet, it's because he's on the way. Jesus always hears us when we cry out to him. Always. One of the reasons I get so excited about this and I get so excited about our church specifically is because I believe we're a community where people can cry out. The church world isn't supposed to be a place where everybody comes in and just pretends to be perfect and walks out and you're still jacked up. That's not church. Church is supposed to be, I heard 
heard somebody say this one time. He said, church isn't supposed to be a castle of condemnation, but rather a basement of grace. And I love that because this isn't supposed to be a place where you come in and pretend that everything is okay. It's supposed to be a place where we can come in, we can gather together and all admit that we're all jacked up and we all need help. In some way, shape, form, or fashion, every single one of us needs help. And this needs to be a place where we understand at the end of the day, when we cry out to Jesus, he hears our cry, and if he's not close to you yet, he's on the way. I, I want to say to the person that maybe you feel like you're suffering alone today. If he's not answering you right now, and because listen, let's be honest. That's how we want God to answer us, right? We want God to answer us right now. God, I need your answer right now. I need you to move in my life right now. I need you to be here right now. I need you to do what I want right now. That, that would be great. But that's not the way that he works. But if he's not answering you right now, you need to understand he's closer than you know, and he's on the way. He's got a plan greater for your life than you could ever possibly imagine because he designed you on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose, and he hears you when you cried out. Which leads to point number two. We've been talking about this all year long. Jesus is calling us out of our comfort. Jesus is calling us out of our comfort. So he hears our cry, but he's also calling us out of our comfort. Look at this, verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, now this, this, is, this is fascinating. We, we've talked about this city where they were at. They were in this place called Capernaum. We've talked about this since the beginning of the year. And I was reading this commentary this week that, that linked and to some other Bible dictionaries and some other stuff that, that said Capernaum, was known as the city of comfort. Like, that's, that's crazy. Literally, the place where they were at was called comfort. And, and so don't miss this. In order for them to get where they needed to be, Jesus was literally calling them out of their comfort. That's amazing to me. I, I was thinking the other day, where are you most comfortable? Like, like where are you? Think, think about that. Don't say it out loud, but just think. Where, where are you most comfortable? For me, and um, this is probably true for most people, it's bed, right? Right? You're most comfortable in bed. I, I, I don't know about you, I love my bed. How many of you love your bed? You love your bed. Now, you don't realize how much you love your bed until you go on vacation. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Last week, I spent two nights in a hotel, and I didn't sleep great, and I couldn't figure out why, because it was a nice hotel. It had a decent bed. It was soft. It had these big fluffy pillows. It had this big like down comforter. And, 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 but just, just restless throughout the night. And I, and I couldn't figure out why until I got home Saturday and laid in my own bed. Because see, my bedroom, I, I, love, I don't know how yours is, but my bedroom, I love for it to be as cold as ice in my bedroom. Like polar bears are in the corner shivering in my bedroom. Like that, that's it. And every morning, every morning, I wake up happy and comfortable. And then I get out of bed and somebody screws it up. But when I wake up, I'm happy. Now sometimes, and I don't know if anybody else here does this, but sometimes I wake up and I'm so comfortable that I just pull the comforter up and I just say, five more minutes. Just five more minutes. That's all I need. 
This five more, five more minutes, if I could have five more minutes, this day would be awesome. Five more days, this day would be, five more minutes, this, this day would be unbelievable. And five minutes for me, I don't know if it's true for you, but five minutes for me turns into 10 minutes, which turns into 15 minutes, which turns into 20 minutes, which turns into like an hour. And sooner or later, I have to go, I gotta get up, man. If I don't get up, the whole day is gonna be screwed up, right? And it, I don't, again, hypothetical, probably nobody else here, nobody else experiences that. But comfort. I'll do too, girl. Comfort. I love to be comfortable. But sometimes in our walk with Jesus, we can get comfortable. And Jesus right here in this text, he's calling these guys out of their comfort zone. Because, don't miss this. Jesus has great plans for our lives. But it always starts with a small step. Because see, Jesus is ultimately calling these guys to take the gospel across the world. But how in the world could he trust them to take the gospel to the world if he couldn't trust them to take the gospel across the lake? It's a very simple concept. Jesus is always calling us out of our comfort zone. And that step at first is always a small step, which leads to big things. And so let's talk about some practical stuff that Jesus calls us to do. But it's so hard. They're so hard to do because of the resistance that the enemy is, is, con- is constantly pushing at us. It's, it's fighting against us. See, anytime Jesus calls us to take a step from here, from where we're stuck, to, to over here into who he wants us to be and who he's called and created us to be, along the way, the devil is going to fight us. And so let's talk about some of those things, like reading your Bible. How hard is it to read the Bible sometimes? Come on! You know what I'm talking about? How stinking hard is it some days to read the Bible? Like, I know people who really struggle with it. I struggle with this sometimes. How hard is it at times to read the Bible? Now, let, let me stop and say this. You could put your Bible down and never open it again for the rest of your life, and God would still love you. We don't read the Bible to get God to love us. All right, I just want to throw that out there. But can we admit that there are times when it is a struggle when it is hard, we make a plan to read the, through the Bible in the year or just take five minutes a day or whatever, and it is so hard. Now, I've had some people push back on this and say, well, it's because I don't really like to read. That's not true, because you read the Internet every day, right? Don't you? Don't you look at Facebook, like, all the time, constantly throughout the day? Aren't you on Snapchat? Like, all, like, like come on. Like, I, I can read a book. Man, I've read every John Grisham book that there is, and I get those books as soon as they come out, and I can read that thing cover to cover in like two days and not put it down. But how hard is it to read the Bible? How hard is it to read the Bible sometimes? A lot of people say, well, I don't read the Bible because I don't believe it. You don't believe that Harry Potter really happens, do you? But you read those things. If you do, don't tell me. I don't believe everything I read on the internet, but that doesn't stop me from reading the internet. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I don't believe anything CNN says, but that is, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm saying, how hard is it to read the Bible? I, I, think, I think reading the Bible in, in whatever way, shape, form, or fashion is a good thing, whether it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, whatever, whether you're listening to an audio version, whether you're reading it on your phone, whether you have an actual study Bible that you're writing in and highlighting, I think it always does us some good. But, but why, is there, why is there sometimes so much resistance to just reading our Bible? Or, or how about this? How about prayer? How about prayer? How hard is it to pray sometimes? 
Seriously. That's difficult for me to understand for me personally because for me it's not difficult to talk. I don't have a hard time talking. But there are times it is hard for me to pray. There are times I have a really, really, really hard time praying. Or how about this one? Going to church. Why is it so difficult sometimes to go to church? Why is there so much resistance at times to go to church? We can take our family camping. We can take our family on vacation. We can take our family to a football game. Let's take, for example, let's say an Iowa State game. Like, like they have a, a 12 o'clock kickoff. You can get your whole family up in the car over to Ames by 6 a.m. You're grilling out. You're talking. You're having a good time. We can do that. But it's really difficult to get the same family that we got to the football game on Saturday to come to church on Sunday. Why is that? Why is that? Can we acknowledge that there might be, maybe, some sort of spiritual resistance there? Can we? And we say that there might be a spiritual element to those things. And when that happens, we have a choice to make. When we're facing spiritual resistance, we, we have a choice. Do we give in or do we push through? Do we give in or do we push through? Because these guys, the disciples, they, they could have said, Jesus, dude, it's time to relax. It's time to sleep. It's time to chill. But instead of giving in, they decided to push through. This is so huge in us getting this, into this mindset of getting out of our comfort zone. Because l- l- let, me, let me say this, and I'll get to the next point. If you're really struggling with something, if you're really wrestling with something, do you know that asking for help is one of the most uncomfortable things that people can do? Asking for help. If you're going through a tough time, if you're in the middle of a storm, asking for help is one of the most difficult things that somebody can do. But in most cases, it's the way. It is the way that God is going to move in your life and begin to work and to heal you. Asking for help is incredibly uncomfortable. But can we admit there's some spiritual element to that? Can can we just say and agree as a church that there's some spiritual element to asking for help? So that was point number two. Point number three, the storm is evidence of our significance. When we're going through a storm, the storm is evidence of our significance. And the reason that I've got to point this out and the reason that I've got to say this is because a lot of churches and a lot of church people would say that the storm is evidence of your sinfulness. And so they say, the only reason you go through a storm is because you're sinful. And that's not true because the disciples, don't miss this, The disciples were about to go through a storm because they obeyed Jesus. That's the only reason they wound up in the storm is they listened to the word of God. That's it. The only reason they wound up in the storm is because they listened to Jesus. And so when people tell you the storm is evidence of your sinfulness, like like, like people, like I, I know somebody gets a flat tire and people are like, oh, God's punishing you. God's not punishing you. You drove through a construction site. That's why you got a flat tire, right? The storm is not evidence of our sinfulness. The storm, I would argue, is evidence of our significance. Let me me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 37, a furious squall came up. Squall means storm. So a furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, now, Now keep in mind, some of these guys are expert fishermen. They're used to being out in the boat, right? And, and, And these guys are terrified. This storm freaked them out. And look at this. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a, on a what? Cushion. All right, I told you about this in week one. I told you I was going to tell you what it is. 
I'm not going to tell you today. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you why, but remember that cushion. In two, maybe three weeks, it's going to be very, very, very important. But I can't tell you why today. Just not yet. I can't. So he's sleeping on this cushion. The disciples, disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care? And we also talked about that in week one, right? We talked about that. How Sometimes we ask Jesus, don't you care? Like, I'm like, Jesus, I'm, I'm in the middle of this. Man, I'm going crazy. Don't you care about my family? Don't you care about my daughter? Don't you care about my son? Don't you care about my spouse? Jesus, don't you care about my finances? Jesus, don't you care about what I'm going through in my job? Jesus, don't you care about what people are saying about me? Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care? Now, I want you to think about this. I, I want us to see something here. You've got two groups of people in this text who are crying out to Jesus. You've got naked, demon-possessed guy, and he's crying out. He doesn't even know who he's, who he's crying out to. He's just crying out because he's got some hurt. He's got some pain. He's got some discomfort. He's got some stuff that's jacked up in his life. And then you got the disciples crying out, don't you care? Don't you care? Both groups of people are crying out. Both groups of people get an answer, but not in the same way. They both get an answer, but not in the same way. And so think about this. If there are like, I don't know, I, I don't know. If there are like 7 billion people on the planet, I don't know how many people are here. Let's just say that. There are 7 billion people on the planet. Jesus works in about 7 billion different ways. He's not going to answer you and me in the same way every single time. Just something to think about. So he's sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked. Everybody say rebuked. Say rebuked. Okay, underline that in your outline, your Bible, circle that, star that, whatever you got to do. You got to remember that. We'll come back to that in a minute. What's the word? Rebuked rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. <laughs> I don't know about you, but have you ever underestimated somebody? Have you ever looked at somebody and just kind of sized them up and just completely underestimated them? We used to play tackle football in college. And this was pre-Jesus college for me. This was right out of high school, Indiana State University. I had never really played organized football in my life. I played soccer in high school, and I was a wrestler. And so I was mean, and I was scrappy, but I was small. I weighed about 130 pounds soaking wet at this time. And one day, we're out playing tackle football, and there were some guys um, who were in my fraternity that got out of football practice early. These were, and I don't care what you say about Indiana State University, all right, these guys were Division I college football players, all right? Division I college football players. And they came in and said, we're going to play tackle football with you. Now, there was this one guy. He was a freshman like me. And he was kind of mouthy. And, and for some reason, he didn't really like me. I mean, he thought I was cocky and arrogant and lippy. I know you can't think that of your pastor when you look at him. But that's what he thought. And so he's talking all this smack and he's saying all this stuff and 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 I didn't know that he didn't like me as much as he didn't like me and and so he's saying all these things he's saying I'm gonna be on this team over here and I want you to give Ryan the ball and give Ryan and and they line him up at the linebacker spot he's like give Ryan the ball give Ryan the ball I'm gonna blow him up and I'm gonna kill him and blah blah blah, blah. And, and I'm looking at him like what's this dude's problem like I'm small and I know I'm not fast fast but look at that dude, man. Like, I can outrun him. Like, why would he talk like this? And I'm not understanding. And so they go, snap the ball, and sure enough, they pass it to me, and I'm running down the sideline. I'm going to score. 
I don't know where dude came from. He hit me so hard. He put his head like right here. I saw my feet up in the air. I landed on my back and woke up in my dorm room. I had no idea what had just happened. And I never will forget underestimating him, thinking all this stuff like, oh, he's nothing, he's nothing, he's nothing. And man, he put me in in a place I didn't even know existed. It was crazy. And we translate that over into the spiritual. And I think one of the One of the biggest mistakes that we can make in our walk with Jesus, one of the biggest mistakes that we can make when it comes to spiritual warfare is underestimating the power of our enemy. The the devil is powerful. He really is. The Bible says that he lurks around like a a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. That's power. There's power in that. And so with that in mind, let me ask you this question. And by the way, if you disagree with that, it's cool. It's all right to be wrong, I guess. But the question is this, who sent the storm? Who sent the storm? Is Satan powerful enough to control the weather? Is he? Who sent the storm? Can Satan actually, at times, control the weather? Yes or no? How many of you think yes? Raise your hand. Come on, it's cool. Own it. How many of you think no? No way. He can't do it. I would say absolutely he can with God's permission. (laughs) That's the key. He can't do anything without God's permission. And and I I know some of you are like, I don't know, Ryan, I don't know. Let let me ask you this question. What did Jesus do to the storm? He, He did what? What was the word I told you? It was what? Rebuke. Why would Jesus rebuke himself? See, see, Jesus is God in the flesh, yes or no? Yes, we had to get that down. Jesus was God in the flesh. And so if God sent the storm, why would Jesus rebuke something that God was doing? Because Jesus himself said, a kingdom divided against itself will surely fall. And so the reason that Jesus rebukes the storm rather than just calming the storm is I don't believe that the the storm was sent by God. I think it was sent by the enemy. And I don't think he was trying to take Jesus out. He's smart. He knew he couldn't take Jesus out. I think he was trying to get the disciples to be discouraged and to doubt their calling and say, hey, if we hang out with that guy, storms are going to come into our life. And so maybe we don't need to follow this guy. Maybe we need to go back to what we were doing before because this is rough. This, this stinks. And, and by the way, if you want more evidence in Scripture, um, in Job chapter 1, all of Job's ki- kids got killed ultimately by a storm sent by Satan. Now, now don't start asking me, did God send the hurricane and God send the... T- I, I don't know. I don't know. But I believe right here in this story, I believe it was sent by the enemy because Jesus rebuked the storm. He spoke and he rebuked the storm. Every single one of us in here are watching online have either been through a storm or you're in a storm. We all know what this is like. But why? Why? Why was the enemy coming after the disciples why did he send the storm after the disciples and we could go back and forth on the answer to this but i believe the enemy knew that if he could get these guys to really buy into the lie and doubt the calling that jesus had on their life then 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 if they really 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 believed jesus that they were going to change the world and if he could get them to doubt that then they couldn't do anything which is why I would say to us, because those guys did change the world. 
And I would say to us, the reason the enemy is attacking you, the, the reason the enemy is, is coming after you, the reason he comes after me, is not because of your sinfulness, it's because of your significance. He knows there's something valuable in you. He knows there's something awesome in you. Listen, thieves do not break into empty houses. And so if the enemy, if the enemy is coming after you, it's because he understands that when you step and begin to follow Jesus, when I step and begin to follow Jesus step by step, not only does it change us, but it changes the world around us. And so I want to encourage somebody here today that's in the middle of the storm, listen to me. You're going to make it through this storm. You're not going to die in this storm because the reason you're in the storm in the first place is because you followed the word of God there. So don't let the enemy's storm cause doubt and discouragement in your life. Don't, don't, Don't you dare. Don't you dare let the enemy storm cause doubt and discouragement in your life. It's not an indication of your sinfulness. It's the indication of the significance that you have and the value that you have in Christ. Which leads to number four. What Jesus speaks is stronger than our storm. What Jesus speaks is stronger than our storm. When I was a kid, and, and this, is, this is true today, um, it's not just true about when I was a kid, um, but I, I got ADD. <laughs> I, I can't pay attention to anything. Now today they got medication for it, they can diagnose it. I grew up in the 80s where they didn't diagnose anything. Like if your mama couldn't cure it with a spray of Bactine, like they just let, you just left off in the corner to die. I don't know. And so for me, man, there were lots of trips to the principal's office because <laughs> I couldn't sit still. I couldn't keep my hands to myself. I, I just couldn't pay attention. And I could be in a room and I could be messing around or whatever. And I think it's this is really funny because um, my dad, my dad had this unique, ability no matter what I was doing he could get my attention with one word (laughs) I could be over here and I could be messing up my dad could walk in the room and he could say one word hey one word got my attention that's it man that's all he had to do speak one word hey got my attention with one all he had to do speak one word and got my attention and that caused me to think about this particular passage because when Jesus woke up from this storm look, look at it again verse 39 He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The word of, don't miss this. The word of God is what calmed calmed the storm. The word of God is what calmed the storm. Not the disciples, not not their worry, not their freak out, not their meltdown. The word of God is what calmed the storm. It's what calmed the storm in their lives, and, and I believe it's what calmed the storm, calms the storm, in our lives as well. He just spoke one word, hey! And the storm calmed down. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think that's a legit question. Hey guys, 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 don't you understand? Don't you understand who I am? Haven't you figured it out yet? Why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? I mean, I got this, guys. I got you, man. What, what's, what's going on? Don't you believe? And it says they were terrified. Just freaked them out, as it would me and as it would you. They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. I don't have this in your outline, but you need to write this down. They got a clearer picture of Jesus because they went through a storm. They got a clearer picture of Jesus because they went through a storm. Everything, everything that I know that's good about God, I learned in a storm. I didn't learn it in a class. I didn't learn it listening to a worship song. I I didn't even learn it in a sermon. 
Everything I've ever learned, everything I know that's good about God, I've learned in a storm. And so if you're in a storm, if you're going through a storm or when a storm's coming, if if you're in the storm, when you're in the storm, start looking around. Because I believe it's in the storms that, that we're able to see Jesus more and more clearly. Personal example, this week, this week there is what I would call a storm come into my life. It's crazy. I, mean, I, I said this spiritual warfare series is stupid because when you expose the darkness to the light, it fights back every single time. And, and so there's this, this situation that was seemingly overwhelming, that's causing me stress and anxiety and some anger, this whole slew of emotions. And so Friday I'm in my office and I'm listening to some worship music. I'm listening to, to this, this girl, Rita Springer, and she's, she's singing the song that has a lot to do with Isaiah 53. And so the song is over, and I, I get my Bible out, and I play the song again, and, and I'm, I'm listening to it, and I'm just kind of reading through Isaiah 53, and the song's over, and I start reading into Isaiah 54. And God spoke so clearly to me in verse 10. It, it says this. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you shall not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Listen, I, I know that means nothing to you right now. And I don't know what it means. I don't. But I can tell you, in that moment, God spoke into my storm. And, and although he did not change my circumstances, he changed my perspective. And sometimes, sometimes, the greatest miracle that can happen in our lives is, is not when God changes our circumstances, but when he changes our perspective in those circumstances. You know what I'm talking about? Because there are times where, where we're going to ask him to change everything around us, but he's not going to change everything around us, but he can change how we see everything around us. And so with all of that in mind, I want listen, if you're in the middle of a storm, I want to encourage you with some things. When the enemy starts pushing in on you, uh, in fact, let's do a really quick review. When, when, when you're in a storm, you need to cry out because Jesus hears our cry. If something is broken in your life and you're crying out, he hears you. He really does. If something is broken in your life and you're crying out, he really, really, really does hear you. And if today, if you've been carrying around guilt or shame or doubt, you've just been carrying all this stuff with you, maybe today is the day. Maybe it's for the first time ever, but maybe today you just need to cry out to Jesus. Because as soon as you cry, as soon as you cry, boom, I I believe he's moving. He's moving towards you. Which leads to the second thing, that Jesus is calling us out of our comfort. You know, maybe we're in a storm because we got to a place of comfort. And for some of us, that, that the whole idea of just crying out for help, it takes us out of our comfort zone. But Jesus is always calling us out of our comfort. And so a question that you need to ask yourself today is, what step, what step is he calling you to take today that's going to be uncomfortable but leads to something unbelievable? What step is he calling you to take that is going to be uncomfortable, but it leads to something unbelievable. Because number three, in the storm, the storm is not evidence of our sinfulness, it's evidence of our significance. Because you're going through a storm, don't think it's because of your sinfulness. Look at it as, I'm significant, I'm value, I'm important in the sight of God, and the enemy knows it, and that's why he's coming against me. And don't doubt in the storm, don't doubt you're calling in the middle of the storm. I know some people right now, in fact, I've had conversations with them over the past couple of weeks, and, and listen to me. These people, they're in the middle of a storm. When, not if, 
But when they make it through the storm, they're gonna be able to accomplish so much more for the kingdom of God than they're doing right now. It's gonna be unbelievable because of number four. What Jesus speaks is greater than our storm. What Jesus speaks is greater than our storm. God has a word for us. If you're going through a storm, God has a word for us in the middle of the storm. Like he, he spoke to me in, in, in Isaiah 54. I don't know what he'll speak to you, but, but I know if we posture ourselves in a position where we can listen, he absolutely speaks. And when, we sp- when he speaks, if we actually believe what he speaks to us, we can overcome anything the enemy throws our way. Anything the enemy throws our way. When the spiritual resistance, when that stuff starts happening in our lives, when we understand that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, and we start walking in that, we understand we walk in victory. And nothing the enemy throws at us can bring us down because Jesus Christ has already paid the price. Amen? Let's stand up and pray.